0: That's a sweet song. Okay, let's begin with questions from this morning. Were there things that as we walked through, whether from the beginning or some the text that we went through or our closing story, that you would like to ask about and maybe get further clarification or discussion about? I think so. That's a good question, Crystal. Were you done asking when I said that? I I think so. I think that once those things are worked into our hearts as believers, I think they're probably ever-present. In a sense that I think a healthy Christian always continues to understand his or her spiritual poverty. I think a healthy Christian would always have a sense of mourning over their sin and that it has come from them and caused the damage that it has. I think that a Christian will, will forever be surrendering his self in meekness to the hand of the Lord and, and seeking that hand to guide him or her into righteousness. And I think the hunger and thirsting is a thing that is both a moment of desperation a feeling, and then an ongoing desire for growth in that. Does that make sense? So, I don't think it's a one-time-through process, but I do think, and and you notice the pivoting place in the the Beatitudes, Crystal, is hungering and thirsting for righteousness because then certain character traits come at that moment that are others-oriented. I become merciful. Um, I become a peacemaker. Uh, suddenly some, some others-oriented kinds of things occur as a result of that moment of hungering and thirsting. So I do think it's a process that the Holy Spirit takes us through, but I think it's an ongoing lifestyle. I think that at any point along the way, it ought to be able to be said of us, wow, she is, she's poor of spirit. Wow, he's a, he's a peacemaker. Well, that person hungers and thirsts for righteousness. They move from that desperation moment of search, like when I lost my passport, to an ongoing feeding and search for that righteousness to grow in them. Correct. And I do think, Crystal, that the more mature that a believer becomes the greater sensitivity they have to sin in their lives and the more desperate they are for that sin to be taken out and for righteousness to fill that place. And so I think that it's a mark of maturity for maybe that desperation to return at certain places along the journey. Because now sin is so much more serious. In fact, I can think of some things that early in my life that if I did them, they did not bother me very much. But I can think now that if I do them or think about them, they bring a sense of desperation and hatred for that sin and desire for righteousness that they did not at one time produce in my life. And so I'm I'm hoping that that's a mark of maturity in my journey. That's a great question, Crystal. Crystal's in my Sunday school class, and I love the questions that she asks. It's always a joy. Other questions or maybe thoughts or things you're working through in what we talked about this morning? Yes, Lynn. Oh. Well, let's pray for her. What's her mom's name again? Let's pray for Miss Myrtle right now. Debbie's just texted and they've had to carry her immediately to the hospital because of blood pressure issues, so let's bow together. Father, we hear Debbie's desire and we come to you in the name of Jesus on behalf of Mrs. Keys. We ask you to have mercy on her, that you would step in right now and preserve life and health, that you would comfort, that you would give them safety on their way to the hospital while they're there and on the way home. We pray for your healing, your hand to fall upon her now, and to grant mercy. we We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you, Lynn. Okay, other questions you might have from this morning. Well, if you'll come and jump into the text with me in Matthew chapter five, uh, I want to do two things. I'm going to do the first thing, and then we'll see if we have time to do the second thing. If you will look, there's something that we wrestle with in Matthew chapter 5 that I think we need to see the difference is, see where the difference is. Let me say it that way. Look in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light shine where? Where does it say? Before men, so that they can do what? That you can see. Thank you, Peggy. Great job. So that they can see your good works. So, obviously, here's a person who has been born again, and they want other people to see their good works. All right, now stop there, and let's go over to chapter 6. Beware, verse 1, of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. (laughs) Now, I'm hoping that you see that that almost looks contradictory. Here's one moment he's saying, get out there and let your good works shine in such a way that people may see it. And then all of a sudden it says, but beware of getting out there and practicing good works that people may see it. She said, what's what's up with this? This is the heart of what is going on in the Sermon on the Mount. I shared with you this morning that every one of us want to feel right. And that that is a hardwired thing that came from the Garden of Eden when we were cast out of the presence of God and we were left feeling wrong because we're sinners. And so we have this innate desire, this hardwired desire, I want to feel right. Some ways we explain that is we say I want to be happy. Others is we, I want to be healthier. Some will say I want to be whole. There's a lot of different words that we use for this feeling that things are right. The, the Jews used a word shalom, which meant sort of a wholeness and a peace. And a, There were so many things in that word, but it just meant everything's right. So we have this. But we attach it to either something internal, some standard that I hold inside me, that if I check everything off, check, 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 check. I feel good about myself. Or something external, that if we have this or we have this person or we have this relationship or we have someone's um, accolades and and, and these things, then then I I feel that and 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 I feel good about myself. And so whatever it is that we attach our sense of well-being to, whether it's self-righteousness or the praise and applause of others, That's the thing we'll operate to give glory to. But the Bible says that we're not to attach to anything inside of us or anything created outside of us. We're to attach our sense of well-being to the work of God in Jesus Christ so that our sense that everything is okay comes from just one thing. It comes from the cross. It comes from nothing else. It comes from the cross. And so when a person <clears throat> has not attached their sense of well-being, their rightness or righteousness to the cross, what happens is they... Am I okay, Sean? Okay. You are the man. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm having a tough time up here. Sean, you're a sweetheart. Thank you. I want some? Some of you who don't drink after other people immediately went, <coughs> okay. Um, wow, well, that's better. When we attach it to something inside ourselves or something created, here's what we'll do we will work so that either we or the thing we attach ourselves to are praised. That's what the Pharisees were doing. The Pharisees, because they were self-righteous, they practiced their righteousness to be noticed by people for one goal, so that they would be praised by people. Whatever it is that gives you your sense of things being right is what you will work to gain praise for. If it's you... It'll be you. But now, it, sometimes it's a created thing outside of you. If you're really into football, I, I don't know if y'all watched this little thing that, was, um, that was, uh, on, It was passed around through all the news stations the other day. After the Alabama and Auburn football game, there was a lady who jumped on about five guys. Did y'all see that? Who saw that? You need to go see it. She jumped on about five guys. She was, I think, an Alabama fan, and there was some disrespect going on during that football game. And so because Alabama gave her such a sense of worth, she was ready to take on these guys, and she literally jumped up over and onto these guys trying to take them on. It was just wacky. When you've attached some sense of ultimate worth to your child, to your spouse, to your parent, to your job, to your car, to your house, to your status or standing, when you've attached that, you will do everything so that that thing will get the praise or that you will get the praise because of that thing. It's called idolatry. And so the difference between Matthew five sixteen and chapter 6, verse 1 is nothing on the surface at all. Both of these people are outside practicing something good. Pharisees are giving. The Pharisees are praying. The Pharisees are fasting. Those are good things. In Matthew 5, you're doing good works. You're doing good things. The difference is not on the surface that the thing itself is good. The difference is what you want after it happens. When your heart is wrong, your your child comes up and and does a, a, a plays an instrument in church, and uh, or plays in the school band or plays on the football team, and you've got a wrong sense of worth about that child, then if they do not get the proper praise for what they did, you become incredibly offended and you start a beef with the people who won't honor, your spouse is not getting a recognition at work that, that you, you've got, you, you're just so invested in your spouse as your source of well-being. And they're not getting promoted. They're not getting the recognition at work. And all of a sudden, you get really embittered because they're not getting the praise that you think is due to them by their activities. And so what happens is, is the end that this all is working to is who gets the praise in the end. you got Jesus on one part saying, you need to get up, get out, and get with people so that they can see your good works. On the other side, he's saying, do not get up and get out and get with people so that they can see your good works what is the difference the difference is what was in the heart in the two instances the heart in matthew 5:16 is finished look in 5:16 so that they may see your good works and do what glorify your Father. When our heart is right, every bit of our labor is to one end. Because God is the one who makes me feel right about myself because He has accepted me through Jesus. God is the one that gives me peace in my heart. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have received... What is this? We have received our... Reception by God into this grace in which we now stand. When our heart is right, we do what we do so that God will be glorified. And we want to get in front of people and do the very best we can in every circumstance so that God will be glorified. Not so that we'll get out of boys or out of girls. But so that God will be glorified. Why? Because He is the one giving me my sense of well-being, so I want Him to be honored. But if I'm the one giving me my sense of well-being, then I'm the one that I want honored. And if you don't honor me, I'll be crushed. Or if my child is the one that gives me my sense of well-being then you don't honor my child. If my spouse, my parent, if they're not getting the honor I think they deserve and they're not getting praised, then I'm going to get embittered because I've got them in a wrong place. I've turned idolatrous in my relationship with them. And so this difference in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, and Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 is one thing. It's the heart. When our heart is right, we want everything to give glory to God who makes us feel right about ourselves, not because of our own deeds or our own works, but because He has accepted us in Jesus Christ. He has died for us on the cross. Our Lord Jesus has suffered the penalty for our sin. Our Lord Jesus has been buried. Our Lord Jesus has been raised. Our Lord Jesus is reigning at the right hand of God, seated there, interceding for us right now. And we want all praise and glory and honor to go to Him. And so, that's healthy. And that's what God wants in us. And that's what Matthew 5, 16 is about. It's about your heart loving Jesus in such a way that you want all praise to go that direction. In fact, we'll learn to deflect praise to Him when we get healthy. It's not that we won't let things be properly praised. If someone says, that was a really well done thing, we're able to say, good, thank you, or... On behalf of this person that's getting praised, I know they'll appreciate you saying those words. We, we, it's not that those things never exist again, but they don't hold the value that they did before, because ultimately, what we want to be able to say is, God gave that ability. God is the one that ought to be praised. So when we get from Matthew five sixteen to Matthew chapter six, well, we get there through Jesus doing something in Matthew five twenty one through forty eight, and what does He do? Jesus in Matthew 5 21 through 48 is going to do this. He's going to say, It's about the heart. It's about the heart. It's always about the heart. In 521, you've heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit a murder. Or whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. What's going on here? <clears throat> I don't think it's any accident, we'll talk about this this coming Sunday, I don't think it's any accident that the first thing that Jesus takes up after saying that our righteousness has to be greater than the righteousness of the Pharisees, I don't think it's any accident that the first thing he brings up is human relationships. Because that's the place we're most likely to mess things up. Sherry and I have watched a series that um, was put out, I think by BBC, it's called Lark Rise to Candleford. Has anybody seen that, Lark Rise to Candleford? It's worth your watching. I don't think there's any profanity in it, maybe a a drop or two, tiny bit. But I was really stunned because the entire series was about one thing. And it took me about halfway through the series to see what it was about. Um, I think they show it on Amazon Prime. If you have an Amazon Prime account, you can just watch the series for free. Um, But the whole series is about the difficulty of maintaining human relationships and why they're valuable. You don't see that until partway through it and you go, that's what this is about. This is about people learning to get along and how primary these relationships are. Well, the first thing that Jesus does after He says, your righteousness must surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees is He jumps into human relationships. Why? Here's why. When we're out of sorts about who is giving us our sense of worth. Whether it's me, I give myself my sense of worth by what I do. Whether it's other created people or created things that give me my sense of self-worth, here's what happens. I will use people to the degree that I need them to feel good about myself. And as soon as they do not serve that purpose, I will discard them. If they were at some time close to me and failed to serve that purpose, I'll simply be angry with them. I'll be bitter. If I need to feel self-righteous, I'll simply judge them so I can feel superior. If they've harmed me in a way that has a lasting effect because it took away my reputation, I will hate them And commit their murder in my heart. When I am out of skew in my heart. And I am idolatrously affixed to myself as my source of well-meaning. And someone harms me and makes me look bad. I am going to hate on him or her for a long time. Because they hurt my idol if someone hurts someone that my idolatry is attached to, I'm going to have an abnormal hatred for the person who hurt that person. I'm not talking about just a righteous anger because they hurt them and I ought to care. But I'm going to have an abnormal fixation. And that's why Jesus is going to equate it with murder. That's what He's going to do. He's going to say, if you come to a point in your life that you look at a person and say, you worthless fool, Jesus is going to say, you are in danger of hell right now. Why? Because when people are a means to an end of us feeling good about ourselves, and we use them, if our sense of well-being and worth, our sense of righteousness is not tied to God Himself, then people are going to be able to affect us at our heart level in such a way that as they operate, we will either see them as an advantage to our well-being, a disadvantage to our well-being, or a non-entity to our well-being. So we'll either be apathetic to the state of their soul, we'll be Tied to the fact that they're working and making us feel worse about ourselves, or we'll be embittered, or we'll be too endeared to them because they're giving us something that God alone should only give us. You look at human relationships and you look at the the immorality tied to so many human relationships. And how easy that someone who calls himself a believer will fall into immorality because they think that this person is going to give them what they're after. And so they give them things that are not proper to give them. They give them things that are not proper in the timing. And they do so because they can't lose that person. If they lose them, all is lost. And so they've put an unrealistic hope in them. What's all that say to us? The kind of righteousness that the Pharisees had depended on something in the created order, whether themselves or the opinions of others, to make them feel good about themselves, to make them feel righteous. And so it messed up all of their relationships. It made them live in what we call a defensive posture. They couldn't receive truth from Jesus because that truth put at risk either their idol of their own self or the idol of their system of people that gave them praise. And so they hated Jesus. Jesus offended them at the heart of their idolatry and they murdered Him. They sacrificed Jesus to the idol of their reputation. And so when our sense of righteousness is tied to the wrong thing, the most cataclysmic problems occur in the realm of our human relationships. And humans will always be sending us sky high with wonderful feelings and valley low with horrible feelings because we put too much stop in our well-being attached to them it'll breed hatred distrust misuse it'll it'll cause people to take advantage of each other to use each other to discard each other and to disregard each other and so when we jump from Matthew 5:21 your righteousness must Just surpass, (laughs) go above that of the Pharisees. How can that be? They seem to have everything right. Well, they do. Externally, the problem is their heart is not right. And when your heart gets right, immediately the thing that begins to be healed is your human relationships and how you view people. Now, let's kind of simplify it. Um, If my heart is not right and I do a good thing, I want the praise to land here. Okay. If my heart is not right and Sherry does a good thing, I want it to land on her. But if my heart is right and I do a good thing or Sherry does a good thing, I want all the praise to go to Jesus. Because my sense of well-being and worth is not tied to me, it's not tied to Sherry, it's tied to Jesus. And so I want Him to get the glory because He's the one that gives us our sense that all things are good. Why? Because of what He has done for us and how He has received us, how He has saved us, how He has forgiven us, how He has given us a new birth and a new heart and a new life and a new eternity. And so I want all the praise and honor and glory to go to Him. Is it okay if Sherry or I get mentioned in that process? Sure, but that's not what we're after. Now that should be the state of our heart. It rarely is. But it should be. And that's what Jesus is after when He brings up the Pharisees. So I need to take you real quick to Matthew 15. Because in Matthew chapter 15, the Pharisees... I have one minute. Here we go. In Matthew chapter 15, the Pharisees had really turned things around and kind of messed things up so that Their sense of well-being came from their idea that they were good, their own righteousness, and it came from their idea that men would tell them that they were good. And so they had this idolatry of their own self and others telling them that they were okay. Jesus steps in and says, I'm telling you, you're not okay. And they got bitter with him to the point that they murdered him. But Jesus deals this out in Verse 15. Let me give verse 10 first. And after he called the multitude to him, he said, Hear and understand, not what enters into the mouth defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Verse 12. The disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? Why? Why? because He was revealing the problem with them and that they were not right. Jesus was letting the weight of the law sit upon them so that they would become desperate, so they would turn and trust Him. But they were loopholing their way through the law. And so you come to verse 15, and Peter answered and said, "'Explain the parable to us.' And Jesus said, "'Are you still lacking in understanding also?' Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth and passes into the stomach and is eliminated? but the things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. These defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. What Jesus is doing is he's giving a quick summary of Matthew chapter five, verse 21 through 48. Because that's where Jesus gets into the idea of your heart is the place where you've got to deal with these things. Okay, having said those things and gone over one minute, do you want to ask any questions about that? Covered a lot of space. I think it's a two-fold thing, and I think Jesus explained this in John chapter 3. The first part of the twofold thing is it's a miracle. We are so steeped in sin and so broken and our hearts are so messed up that there has to be a miraculous work of God to initiate the change. The idea is called the new birth. And Jesus said it's a mystery. It's like the wind. You don't know how it works and where it's coming from, where it's going, but it is there. And so he talks about you must be born again. And so the miracle of the new birth is the first and foremost thing. And this is a work of God. It is a miraculous intervention of God on the human heart. The second part of the how is the willingness that we have to engage in that process because we love Him and we see what He has done for us. We behold His glory. We behold His salvation. We behold this this, we go through this panic of, I'm lost, I'm going to hell, I know that I'm a sinner, uh, I, I'm, and we're searching for that passport, like the illustration this morning. We're frantic, and, and all of a sudden we lay hold of Jesus, and that peace settles into our heart. And so the part that I do, I think, is threefold. One, it is a matter of trust. I have to constantly correct my trust every almost every day or every moment of every day. I have to place my trust. I have to keep correcting myself. Sometimes I feel good about myself because I did a good thing. I have to tell myself, that is not how God accepts you. God accepts you by what Jesus did. So I have to keep pushing my trust. The second thing that I think that I have to do is I have to keep reading God's Word to see the glory of the cross. From the Old Testament law and my sinfulness and the prophets and how they condemned the idolatry of our hearts to Jesus bringing all these things out, to Him dying on the cross. I have to keep feeding on the Scripture. So I've got this beginning sense where I keep putting my trust, I keep forcing it back to where it's supposed to be with Jesus, and then I meditate on His Word, and then I think third is I have to talk to Him. I have to have a conversation with Jesus that's a living, active ongoing conversation with Him through prayer where I'm constantly casting myself dependently upon Him. So the how for me, personally, and the how I think the Scripture teaches us is that first, I must always corral my trust into one place, to Jesus. I must not let it be in mankind. I must not let it be in... In finance. I must not let it be in ownership. I must not let it be in relationship. I must always corral all my trust to Jesus and not let fingers of my trust spread out into other things which will lead to terrible disappointment later. And second, I need to be in His Word every day. That's something I can discipline myself to do. And third, I need to be constantly praying. And so the how for me and the how I think that the Scripture says is that I practice those three things. And that <clears throat> the Scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Trust is acting on my faith. Hearing is reading His Word and then having a conversation with Him in prayer. And so I think that's the how. And I think that's a discipline that the early church was taught in their interactions with Jesus and then with each other. So good question, Crystal. Crystal. Anybody want to follow up on that or ask further? Sir? I can't hear you. you. Oh, love you. Thank you, Cliff. Thank Thank you. Well, here's what we do. Let's go home and make sure that no idols are getting in the way of Jesus. Let's just trust Him. And let's let all the sense of our well-being come, not from whether or not the saints win. I can tell you, having pastored in Louisiana twice, and in South Mississippi once, that the mood of a church is affected by whether or not the football team wins on the day before. I'm serious. I'm very serious. I can come in, and not knowing whether or not the team won, I can tell by the mood of the congregation, I say there's something wrong today. And then somebody says, well, you know, LSU lost last yesterday. So you're kidding. And, well, the congregation sure is bummed out about it. Of course, there will be like four people smiling because they don't like LSU. Now, why, why is that important? Well, because sometimes we put too much weight on meaningless things. And it affects us. And it can easily become idolatry. If a lady is jumping onto a pile of six men to fight, I would say it's gotten beyond the normal place. Okay. It's 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 no longer just a football game. All right. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for letting us think about your word and and thank you for the interaction and the questions. And and I pray tonight that these three things we've spoken of, trusting you, trusting Christ for our well-being, our sense of worth, everything attached to Jesus only. And then bathing Our lives in Your Word daily. And then talking to You in a relationship of trust and obedience. Grant this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love y'all. Good night.